Well, I have a very thankful heart this morning. I'm uh, very glad um, because this uh, this morning is uh, the beginning of Jonathan Spafford and Dylan Rowe serving as new elders at Trinity Bible Church. And so I just think of this as a sign of God's goodness to us. And I'm really excited for this day uh, to uh, come. So as the service begins... Um, Jonathan and Dylan are not elders at Trinity Bible Church at this moment. They're not elders uh, now, but before the service is over, Lord willing, God will have made them elders at Trinity Bible Church. So I'm going to give a message this morning um, to Jonathan and Dylan and uh, to all of us. And then I'll call the elders up to the front and we'll have, we'll lay hands on Jonathan and Dylan and Kelly will give a, as our chairman of the elders, will give a prayer of uh, consecration. And then that point, at that point, God will have made Jonathan and Dylan to be elders here at, uh, at Trinity Bible Church. So this morning, I want to give you three solemn charges. The first one, and the one I'm going to spend the most time with, is a solemn charge to Jonathan and Dylan. And the rest of us can listen in on, on that. Um, the second one will be a solemn charge to the rest of us here. And uh, the third will be a solemn charge to everyone, Jonathan, Dylan, everybody else uh, included as well. And all three of these charges are in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 through 5. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles there, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. I'll read it in just a moment, but as you're turning, let me give you a little context for the book of 1 Peter. And the context is persecution. The context is persecution. The book of the letter of first Peter was written in connection with the great fire of Rome, a great historical event in the year AD 64. Great fire burned a really good portion of the city and Nero ended up blaming it on Christians. And so it became the occasion for a sudden, violent and severe persecution of Christians in Rome. And Christians were famously burned alive as uh, human torches in Rome to light um, Nero's stadium as he drove his chariot around at this event that was uh, designed to commemorate his punishment of uh, Christians. That took place um, after this time, at that time. Um, that event, that horrible persecution of Christians in Rome changed the attitude towards Christians all over the Roman Empire. And so wherever people lived, wherever Christians live and churches were, this, what happened in Rome, had shockwaves. It traveled throughout their empire. It emboldened uh, their enemies and inflamed uh, persecution. And so Peter, who's probably writing from Rome at the time of these events, wrote this letter to the churches um, scattered throughout the Roman provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And the message was, Persecution's coming. Get ready. Persecution is uh, coming. And so he wrote that to uh, the believers there. Now, some think that Peter wrote this letter just before the fire. This tension was kind of mounting against Christians, and it wasn't clear what what was going to uh, set it off. Um, some others believe that Peter wrote this letter just after the event of the fire of Rome and where it became more clear what what form that persecution was going to uh, take. And so people line up on either side. But some have also imagined that this letter was written before and after the fire of Rome. In other words, part of it was written before, 
And part of it was written after. And uh, the reason they think that is because it's a letter that seems to almost have two endings. And uh, I'm talking about chapter 4 and uh, verse 11, where Peter seems to tie things up. And he says, um, uh, in all things that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so the thought is maybe before the fire came, as Peter knew, some sort of persecution was uh, on its way. He wrote this letter. Set it, set it down for a moment, and then the event happened. And the fire came, and people were, were um, dislodged from their homes, and the persecution began to come. And so knowing and that, he picked up his pen and wrote again, starting in verse 12 of chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though this some strange thing were happening to you. And so from chapter 4, verse 12 to chapter 5, at the end of it, however it was written, however it all worked out, we don't know exactly how. But uh, this section of the letter is more urgent. It's more vivid about the idea of persecution coming. And so it says things like this, chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Or it says things like uh, this, First uh, Peter 5 and verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that would be the second ending, maybe, of uh, the letter of First uh, Peter. And Peter's charge to elders, which I'm about to read to you, is found in the second part of the letter, of this warning about persecution. It's found in the part of the letter that's more urgent, that's more vivid, that is uh, sort of extra in its warning about uh, uh, persecution. And certainly what's said, what is exhorted to elders here can stand for all times, but it especially makes sense for a time of persecution, for a time of persecution. And why would elders be addressed for a time of persecution? Well, typically, and this has taken place throughout church history, persecution falls on leaders first. Persecution falls on leaders uh, first. If the purifying judgment of God starts with the house of God, then it starts with the elders in the house of God um, as well. And then also when churches experience persecution, or suffering, or turmoil, it falls on church leaders to provide comfort, to provide strength, to provide guidance uh, through that time. And so uh, as Peter addresses the idea of persecution coming, and even in an especially intense way, at the end of the letter, his thoughts turn to elders, and he turns to address elders. We're living through strange days, not the worst imaginable by a long shot, uh, but in some ways unprecedented attitude towards Christians probably different and worse than it's been at any other time um, in our country. And so none of us know what the future holds. So the question for Jonathan uh, and for Dylan is not only what kind of elders will you be, but also what kind of elders will you be when persecution comes? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My first solemn charge this morning is for Jonathan and Dylan, and it's found in this uh, passage. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Uh, Peter, as he gives this charge to the elders, puts himself into it. He puts himself into it. And so he gives it in this way. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. He describes himself in three ways. Your fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And so he mentions sufferings and glory, the sufferings of Christ followed by the glory of Christ. And he was an eyewitness, as he mentions, of the sufferings of Christ. And he's a also a sharer, not only in the sufferings, but also in the glories that follows. And he writes and gives this um, uh, exhortation to the elders um, in that way. But the other way in which he writes them, and you, and you can see, I should say, you can see how that would fit a time of persecution. I'm writing to you as one who's seen the sufferings of Christ, and you're about to experience some of them, and also the glories. I'm a sharer in the glories that uh, follow as well. And those are yours as well. If you suffer with Christ, you will also reign with him. You also be glorified. And you can see how that would be fitting for uh, elders who are about to be involved in um, suffering. But he writes them also, as you see in verse one, he says, I'm exhorting you elders as your fellow elder, as your fellow elder. And uh, Peter could have introduced himself in a whole lot of ways. I'm, I'm writing to you elders as your apostle, as your authority. Uh, he could have written to them in that way. He could have, uh, well, he didn't write to them as a uh, first pope. In fact, we don't even believe in that. Um, he writes to them as a fellow elder. And um, Peter had served as an elder at the first church in Jerusalem. And that's clear from Acts chapter 15, uh, where it's clear that he's not only an apostle, but he's also an elder at that church. And it seems that he was serving as an elder here as well as he's writing this letter an elder in his church that he was uh, um, responsible for in a special way because he it, it was the church where he was uh, attending. So he writes to the elders who are about to experience persecution as one of them, as a fellow elder. And uh, the first time Peter himself encountered the pressure of real persecution, he put up a mighty struggle. In fact, he cut off somebody's ear but it turned out to be a flash in the pan and then he folded and then he denied Christ three times. And the Lord told Peter before that event, this is what uh, the Lord uh, told Peter, Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. When you've been restored, strengthen your brothers. Minister to your brothers and minister to them even in a time of persecution. After Peter denied the Lord and the Lord found him 
and restored him. The Lord asked him three times, same number of times as Peter had denied him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he was grieved that the Lord asked him and especially asked him three times. And each time the Lord told him, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my, feed my lambs. And so he directed Peter towards serving others, towards feeding sheep, towards being a shepherd, towards sheep, towards doing what an elder does. So Peter writes them as persecution comes again for a final time in Peter's life. He says, I'm writing to you as someone who's involved in the same thing that you're doing. I'm writing to you as a fellow elder. In this persecution that Peter is warning them about, Peter would die as foretold uh, as a martyr. He would die like his Lord. He would die for his Lord. He would die like his Lord on a cross. But Peter had learned, in fact, at this time in his life, he was resolutely determined to lay down his life feeding sheep to lay down his life feeding sheep. And that's what he tells the elders in, in these churches to do too. So again, for Jonathan and Dylan, when the pressure of persecution comes, and that's what is, uh, that's what is uh, foretold for all Christians. That's what all Christians should, should um, expect. What is it that the pressure will squeeze out of you? And the answer is, let it be the same as, your, as it did for your fellow elder, Peter, in this hour of darkness for him. Or what it squeezed out of the chief elder, Christ, when he came to his hour of darkness. And that is faith and love. Faith in God. Faith in God. Uh, trust in him and then love towards others. And what does it mean for an elder to love others? For him to love those uh, that are under his charge. It means that he gives them leadership. He gives them leadership. For someone in a position of leadership, uh to give leadership is an act of love. And for him to withhold leadership is an act of selfishness. And so uh, P- Peter was uh, directed to the Lord to love others, to love others, to feed uh, sheep. And uh, he was not directed to love uh, a process, not directed to love a method, but directed to love people. And that's what Peter says uh, to these elders uh, as well in this uh, hour of persecution in this hour of darkness, shepherd the flock of God among you. That is the uh, that is the exhortation for elders. Now, let me ask this question. Let me consider it for uh, a moment. Do Christians need human leaders? Do Christians need human leaders? We all have the Bible. That's our authority, right? Uh, and so uh, what more do we need than that? Do Christians need human leaders. Well, the answer to that question is emphatically, yes, Christians need leaders. And so Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, they went and established churches and on their way back, they established elders, leaders in every single church that they had um, uh, established. This letter is written not just to one church, it's written to multiple churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and they all had elders. So when when they come to this point in the letter and it's read, uh, Peter saying, therefore, I exhort the elders among you shepherd the flock of God. They all knew what that was. They all had people there that were elders in uh, these churches. And so uh, churches, Christians need human leaders. Why? Why do Christians need human leaders? And the answer is God cares about what people do together. 
And for that reason, God cares about human leadership. He cares about it a lot because there's actually a lot in the, in the Bible that is about human leadership. And human leadership matters to the Lord, to God, because what people do together matters to the Lord. What Christians do together matters to the Lord very much. And so the Lord has provided human leaders in the church uh, as well. Where you see one, where you see the Lord caring about what people do together, you see the other. You see the Lord providing for human leadership uh, as well. The Lord, uh, Jesus, at one point in his ministry, he looked out at the crowds. He saw them distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And that meant a lot of things. What he saw, he felt compassion for them uh, because of that. But one thing that it meant is they're not doing anything together. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're just each uh, doing uh, their own thing. And so leadership is needed just to coordinate, to uh, do things together. There's no other way for people to do things together than for them to have uh, uh, leaders. And so what are the leaders in the church supposed to do in shepherding sheep? Well, the first thing that we're to do is something that we're commanded not just to do, but to do together. And it's the most important thing. It's the most important part of an elder's responsibility. It's hearing the word of God. It's hearing the word of God preached and taught faithfully, exposited in an orderly way from start to finish the whole counsel of God. Uh, not only a proper understanding of it, but uh, exhorted to, to follow what scripture has uh, to say. And uh, it's important, not just that Christians do this, hopefully you're doing it on your own, but that we do it together, that we do it together. And elders, the first part of an elder's responsibility is to make sure that the church is doing this together, exposed to the word of God, exposed to the word of God being preached. In fact, it's so much uh, to an elder's uh, responsibility. They're not just to see to it, that it's done, but they're to take part in it. They're to be a part of the teaching of God's word. They're per to protect that from any sort of harm, any sort of falsehood that would come in and pervert it or take the place of the preaching of God's word. And so the first responsibility of a shepherd is the most important thing that we do together. That's what requires human leaders uh, in order to do that, which is the hearing of the word of God. That's the primary thing that it means shepherd the flock of God that are among you. It means feed them. Feed them with the words of life, with the words of life. And that's the most important part of a shepherd's task, of an elder's uh, task. But it's not the only part. In fact, if you heed the word of God, and it gives you a number of other tasks that Christians are to do together, that are important to the Lord and that require human leadership in order for Christians to do these things together, such as singing together. You know, you're to make music in your heart. You're to sing. I hope you sing it in your own. I hope you sing in the shower. Praise to the Lord. That's not the only time that we're to sing. We're to sing together. And the elders are responsible for that ministry. The elders are responsible for providing a leadership for that. So we're all singing from the same page. We're supposed to sing with one voice. We're supposed to sing uh, together. Praying together. We're to pray on our own. Pray in private. Pray without ceasing. We're also to come together and pray, and the elders are responsible. That's part of what it means to shepherd sheep, is to shepherd them in that task, to protect against anything that would come uh, against it. Fellowship, something that we do together. You have to do that together. Uh, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not something you do in private um, at home. It's something that we to do, do together. It's part of the shepherd's call and the shepherd's task um, to shepherd the sheep. And we're on mission together. 
We're on mission together. And the mission is to make disciples. Part of that is alone. Part of that is uh, your own individual uh, calling. But part of it is something that we're commanded to do together. We're commanded to function as a team in uh, making disciples. And that requires leadership. It, and that's part of what is involved in uh, uh, shepherding sheep. And so God cares about all these things that the church is meant to be doing together. He's not indifferent towards them, and he's not indifferent to the idea that they're to be done together as well as to be done uh, in part. And because of this, God gives leaders to the church. He provides each church with leaders, and he gives them the authority and the responsibility that comes directly from him. That's, that's the requisite authority, not more than, but enough authority to lead all those things and to shepherd and to coordinate um, all of those things. And so he gives um, shepherds a certain amount of authority over uh, the church, not over everything that the church does. Uh, an elders, the elders authority doesn't extend to everything that the church does. One thing the church does is sets bedtimes for the kids. But we're not doing that together as a church. We're doing that individually. Each family is, is, and so the elders aren't involved in that aspect because it's not in any sense something that the church is doing together. But uh, the things that the church is to do together, the elders are given authority to and a command and a responsibility to lead us together in as well. It includes hearing God's word together, includes singing together, includes fellowshipping together, includes church discipline. That's something that we do together, hopefully not often. Um, and it includes the Lord's Supper uh, as well. So Jonathan and Dylan leading in those things is your task, shepherding sheep in all those things that the church is called uh, to do uh, together is going to be your task along with the other elders and even in a time of persecution, not just in a, a time when these things are easy, but also when they're difficult. And that's why uh, Peter writes to the elders and exhorts them to do these things. Well, Peter's charge to the elders is not so much on the task itself of being an elder. He just says, shepherd the flock of God among you and uh, says it in that way. It's not uh, the flock of the elders. It's the flock of God, but it's the flock of God that is uh, among you. But uh, what Peter has to say um, is not so much um, about uh, describing the task itself, what it is, but it focuses on the way in which it's to be done. In other words, the motive that it's to be done. And so in my solemn charge to Jonathan and to Dylan, I'll, I'll hopefully focus on that part um, as well. The way in which this is to be done. And again, this makes the most sense. It's true for all times, but it makes the most sense in a time of persecution that shepherding God's flock would be done in this way. And uh, Peter describes it. This is what he's really exhorting the elders during this time, that they would do their work of shepherding, their work of overseeing, the flock of God in these three ways. And he gives three pairs of descriptions for how the elders should do their work. Three pairs of saying, well, not like this, but like this. And so he gives three pairs of this. And the, the first is this shepherd, the flock of God among you. Here's the first exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not under compulsion, but Voluntarily, That's important for an elder at all times. It's especially important for elders in a time of persecution that they do their work, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. This word voluntarily, I don't know how it's translated, but it's the, it's the first one there in verse uh, two. It's a great word. It's one of my favorite words in Greek. 
Um, ek usios, and you might almost hear what that means. It means out of your being. Ek is out of, and then usia is uh, being, like essence. Out of your being, and I, 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 I like it so much I chose it for the, the title, Shepherding God's Flock Willingly, Willingly, Out of Your Being. That's the way in which an elder is to do his, his work out of his being so that when pressure comes, when persecution comes and you're squeezed, what comes out is being an elder. Shepherding God's flock, not by compulsion, but out of your being, out of, out of your innermost uh, being. It means not being constrained by the outside in, but by the inside out so that you're serving as an elder, not because your wife pressured you into it. Uh, not because uh, your friends will think more highly of you uh, if you serve as an elder of the church. Those will be outward reasons uh, for doing it, but because you're inwardly compelled to do it because it's what comes from inside of your heart. And so not by compulsion, not under compulsion. Uh, I think to be inwardly compelled is okay because Paul uses that. I think he uses that same word, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. I am under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, but it's an inward compulsion that he's talking about, not something that's that's uh, forced on him from uh, the outside. It's something that comes from uh, within. And so this is an important part of how the elder shepherds the flock of God, and especially in a time of persecution, not under compulsion, but willingly, voluntarily, out of his being. This is the uh, difference between serving as a conscripted soldier and serving as a volunteer. Those are two different kinds of service, two different kinds of, uh, of soldiers. Shepherd the flock among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Voluntarily according to the will of God. And uh, what it literally says is voluntarily out of your being, according to God. That's all it says, according to God. And so it gives translators a bit of a headache to figure out how to kind of smooth this out. My translators say, Voluntarily, according to the will of God, according to what God wants for you. And that's fine. Um, but that's not what it says. It says, according to God. And I think what, what Peter has in mind is, this is how God shepherds his people. Not under constraint. There's nothing that constrains God. He shepherds his people, and he is a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He shepherds out of his being. He shepherds out of who he is. And so his under shepherds, they're to shepherd in the same way. Not under compulsion, but freely. Uh, uh, voluntarily, willingly, out of their very uh, being. And if you want to learn to do something out of your being, I'm speaking to Jonathan and to Dylan, um, to shepherd the flock of God out of their being, but actually it's the whole Christian life. That's the kind of obedience that God cares about, is not something that you're forced into, but something that comes out of your being. We're made a new, new creation so that we can obey out of our being, and that's what uh, pleases uh, God, something given happily something given because we want to gladly uh, towards God. That's the kind of obedience that pleases him. The other obedience is the kind that a Pharisee gives, and that's not pleasing to uh, the Lord. But if you want to do something out of your being, learn to do something out of your being, even something that might, might not currently want to do, then you learn of God's grace. In fact, the Lord Jesus told his disciples as he sent them out for ministry, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. Go learn what it means that you've received from God freely, that you've received by his grace, and you'll know what it means to freely give. That's what he says to his disciples. Freely you've give, uh, freely you've received, freely give, so that you can serve others voluntarily, freely, out of your being. 
God loves a cheerful giver. And for the same reason, he loves cheerful and willing elders who serve uh, not by compulsion, but uh, voluntarily. Well, there's three uh, pairs of descriptions for how uh, elders are to shepherd the flock of God. The first is not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to God, the way he, he uh, shepherds. And the, the second is, is very much like it. It's almost overlapping. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. There's not to be a financial motive. You're not to serve based on something forcing you from outside. You're not also not to serve as an elder, serve in a leader of a large group of people to increase your uh, financial options, to increase ways in which you could gain influence and uh, profit uh, from it. And so this uh, speaks of uh, the spirit of a hireling, somebody who uh, is not a shepherd to the sheep. He's not the owner of the sheep. He's just somebody hired. And that's not the way an elder is uh, to serve. But rather, instead of uh, for sordid gain, for dishonest gain, with eagerness. And uh, again, this is important for a time of persecution. A time of persecution might reveal this, who's serving for sordid gain and all that comes to an end and who's serving with uh, eagerness. Eagerness here is, is, is very much like, it's very much uh, the same idea of out of your being to serve with uh, eagerness. It's a little bit uh, different of a word. Uh, to serve willingly, to serve out of your being, we sounded that out for you. It's out of uh, out of uh, your essence, out of your being. This is a word that uh, speaks not of just what makes you you, your being, but one part of that, your drive, your uh, eagerness, your passion. Um, and so uh, that's the way in which uh, an elder is to serve. This is what's to get him out of bed in the morning, is the idea of uh, uh, being driven inwardly towards uh, shepherding the flock of God. And then uh, the third pair uh, that's given as a description of the way elders are to shepherd the flock of God, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And the Lord Jesus taught on this uh, a number of times with his disciples. That's why Peter is saying it here. But he says, you know, the Gentiles use leadership for lording it over those that they're in leadership for. The Gentiles use uh, leadership for imposing your will on others. That's not what, that's not what being an elder is for. That's not what leadership in the church is for, is for imposing your will on others. Leadership in the church is for serving by providing leadership to what we're doing together as uh, a church. And, uh, the leaders are to lead in that way, proving to be examples to the flock. In other words, not driving the flock ahead, not driving those, uh, allotted to your charge uh, ahead of you. You do this, you go do this while I do something else. But uh, uh, not driving them, but leading, going out uh, in the front and exposing yourself to risk. And so an elder is not to lead like the Pharisees who tied heavy burdens to lay on men's shoulders and then were unwilling to lift a finger uh, in order to uh, lift them. But rather, uh, an elder is to lead in this way by saying, follow my example. Do as I do. Go with me. Follow me as I follow after Christ. So Jonathan and Dylan, how will you serve as elders? And the charge, the solemn charge from scripture is to serve uh, in this way, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And here's the encouragement that comes, especially uh, helpful in a time of persecution. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading clown, crown of glory. Uh, it fits that he makes mention of a reward. In other words, 
and this is important in a time of persecution, your labor is not in vain. It's to win an unfading crown. And the athletes participated at this time to win a, a, a wreath that would fade. It was made out of ivy or laurels or something like this. Uh, but he says, no, you're to, uh, acting in this way on behalf of the chief shepherd to receive an unfading crown of glory. And when Christ returns, that's the time when the reward will be given. And he, Christ is described here as the chief shepherd. When Christ returns and comes in the clouds uh, from heaven, you will see a king of kings and lord of lords, but you'll also see an elder. He's returning as an elder. He's returning as the chief uh, shepherd. He's returning as uh, a shepherd. And so uh, there's a reminder of the reward. There's also a reminder that Christ is the shepherd. As he's exhorting the shepherds to shepherd the flock of God and to do it a certain way, he's reminding them that they serve under the chief uh, shepherd. And Christ is not a reluctant or an unwilling shepherd. Christ is the over-shepherd. He's the, the uh, chief shepherd. And he shepherds uh, his people not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not for sordid gain. Not for dishonored skin, but with eagerness. And not as lording it over. That's not how he uses his authority to lord it over. Uh, but he goes in front. He le- in fact, he goes to the cross in our place, exposing himself uh, to the most, even the wrath uh, of God in our place, and proving to be examples to uh, uh, the flock. So Jonathan and Dylan, may God help you to shepherd the flock of God among you voluntarily, with eagerness, proving to be examples to the flocks in good times and in bad, in times of peace and plenty and ease, and also in times of difficulty and in pressure and in persecution as well. And the promise that is given and the encouragement to them is you'll never regret it. It's a promise from the Lord. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, that's the solemn charge to Jonathan and uh, to Dylan, I told you I'd give you a couple other solemn charges as well. Um, and so there's a solemn charge, not only for Jonathan and Dylan, but now for the rest of us as well. And you'll find it in verse five. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Well, first of all, who's addressed here? Who's addressed here? You younger men. What is he, what is he talking about? talking about the men in their 20s and in their 30s and not uh, the men that are uh, middle-aged. And is he telling them how to treat elderly people? So it's how different kinds of people uh, relate to one another in, in the body of Christ. Well, the word that's used here, it's translated younger men in my uh, translation. It can refer to men, but it's also, it is also the way that you would refer to men and women the youngers, uh, younger men and women. So it could just as easily be translated younger men and uh, women. And I think here, and, I, and really the commentators that I look at agree with me on this, youngers is actually a counterpart here to elders, elders. So it's really a reference to people in the church who are not in the office of uh, elders. One little clue for that is the word likewise. Same word used in chapter three when Paul talked about a wife's responsibility to her husband and said likewise and talked about a husband's responsibility to the wife. So he's charging the elders, elders, and then he says likewise, youngers. And I think it's a, it's a reference, not just to the younger people. Maybe there's a special focus on the younger uh, people, but it's a reference to those who are not uh, serving 
as uh, elders in the church, but rather are responsible to follow in their uh, leadership uh, in this. And I think what is commanded this be subject to, submit to, uh, it's not um, a reference to respect and to honor, which we're to show to the elderly, to all of the elderly that's important uh, to the Lord, but it's actually something that corresponds to authority. It's, it's the counterpart to shepherding. It's being shepherded and uh, following in uh, that way. And so this is the responsibility for you. And it's a reference to the elders, not to elderly people is what Peter has in mind here, but uh, to the elders of the church. And the responsibility is to be subject to, to, uh, to submit. A couple of things to point out. One is that the responsibility of people to submit to elders is always in the plural. It's always in the plural. It's always the elders as a whole. And it's the decisions that the elders make uh, together. And so your responsibility after Jonathan and Dylan become your uh, elders is not to uh, submit to Jonathan and Dylan. It's to submit to them only as they are part of the leadership of the group of elders. That's who God has given uh, the authority to lead uh, in the things that the church is doing uh, together. And in that group, Jonathan and Dylan start out as equals in that group. They don't start out as uh, as junior members uh, in that uh, group. So uh, this is what uh, actually all of our responsibility is to uh, the elders as a whole, including those of us who are serving as elders have a responsibility to submit to the decisions of uh, the elders uh, as a whole. And uh, this is in the things that pertains to what the elders have authority for, which is the things that the church uh, is doing uh, together. That's what uh, elders are given authority for, and we're to push forward in that imperfectly. We need feedback from everyone in the decisions that the elders are making and also need the benefit of the doubt in that and the knowledge that we're serving imperfectly in that uh, as well. To submit to the elders uh, doesn't mean that you don't minister and the elders do minister. That's not what we're all in this together. The elders are providing leadership in what everyone is doing. And so in the tableau, we have listed for prayer, uh, the church elders, and they're listed. Now that's going to include Jonathan and Dylan. Um, we have the church deacons. We have a, a, a couple other offices of the church, but there's a sense in which we should also put ministers, the whole congregation. Everybody's a minister at uh, the church, but the elders are to take the lead, and there, there is an obligation uh, to submit and uh, to follow that, and that's tested, especially tested in a time of persecution for the people. And so Peter, as persecution is coming, he's not only thinking the elders need to continue to lead, but the people need to continue to follow in the elders' lead as well. And so there's a solemn charge to the people, you youngers, you ones that aren't elders, uh, submit to the elders. Well, there's one more solemn charge. It's for everybody. It's for elders. It's for those who are uh, not elders. And it's a dress code. You might not have known we have a dress code um, at Trinity, but we do. And uh, it's a dress code even for family camp. It's a way that you're supposed to dress, and this is the charge to uh, all. And all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. Clothing. He uses a picture of that. Uh, clothing, it's, you don't leave home without it. You always have it on, and it's the, it's the whole atmosphere. It gives a whole atmosphere to what you do, and it's to be humility. It is uh, what's described in Philippians chapter 2 of the Lord himself when he came to earth on his mission to save 
that we would have the same minds to regard one another as more important than yourself. That's humility. Or what's described in Romans chapter 12 about the Christian life that pleases the Lord to give preference to one another in honor. Humility, it's been said, I think, well, is not to think less of yourself. That could be an endless hall of mirrors that points you actually towards pride. It's not to think less of yourself. It's to think of yourself less. Think of yourself less and think of others more to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be with these people that the Lord has put me, uh, with, uh, the people who are here and I think of them as higher than myself and I honor them as higher than, uh, myself. The atmosphere that the church is to have and especially in a time of persecution is not, um, arrogance, but it's to be, uh, humility, humility as well. And that's what makes these charges work the charge to the elders the shepherd of the flock the charge to everyone else to be subject uh, to the elders it can only take place in an atmosphere where everyone is clothed with this dress code dress code the, the clothing of humility let me read um um commentator it's alexander strauch and we've had opportunity to read him before he's done a lot of um thinking and writing about elders and he writes this about this verse and this final part about clothing yourself with uh humility Knowing the ever-lurking potential for disagreement, fighting, and division between all parties within the local church that is accentuated by the pressures of a hostile society, Peter offers the best possible counsel. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Only when everyone wears the garments of humility, elders, young men, women, and deacons will peace and unity prevail. So Jonathan and Dylan, the solemn charge to you, shepherd the flock of God among you voluntarily, eagerly, proving to be examples to the flock. Solemn charge to the rest, to the rest of us, submit to the elders. And none of those charges will get off the ground unless all of us are humbled, humbled by God's grace. That's the best way to be humbled is to be humbled by God's grace to wear a garment of humility towards one another and especially in the pressure and the fire of persecution. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that Jonathan and Dylan, who you, you've provided, you've prepared them, you've prepared their hearts, uh, you've prepared us, pray that they might be a rich blessing to this church in their ministry of serving uh, as elders. We pray that we might not only uh, maintain the way in which you've blessed us in the in the past, but that we uh, might advance and excel uh, in new ways, that we might be a, a brighter light for Christ than we've been before and uh, do in large part through the ministry that you've given to Jonathan and to Dylan. And so we ask for this. We ask that you'd help them to be faithful to this solemn charge to shepherd the flock of God. And we pray that you'd help us uh, to respond to it in a way that honors you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.